Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Osban, here with my friend, Chavruta Aaron Gordon. Our DAP today, Masechet Kitubot, DAP Kavchet, page 28. Well, we're going to finish up a parak today, our second parak of Kitubot, which is exciting. And uh, we start off again with this discussion that began yesterday. I really just want to talk about it outside of the DAP. But one of the things that we see that's interesting about divorce is that there's sort of an assumption that a divorced couple, because there was a familiarity, because there is a history of intimacy, could fall back into that if they spend too much time together. And so what we see the Gemara do is sort of set particular boundaries, right? They can't live in the same city. Maybe they can't share a courtyard. They can't have joint business ventures together because sort of once the divorce is done, it's done. And we don't want there to be a possibility uh, that the couple could become intimate again. I had actually never seen something like this in the Gemara before. Um, I thought it was interesting. I think it's a particular insight into sort of human nature and relationships. There may be people who disagree with the Gemara's insight, uh, but nonetheless, I, I thought was worth worth our thinking about and just considering what exactly is the Gemara saying here um, and sort of the Gemara's view and even if a relationship is over, it's never actually over. Um, I think there's like, I don't know, a fount of wisdom in that statement, right? The amount of attention that we devote to relationships and even when they're over, they're never quite over. Yeah, that's that's basically what the uh, what the Gemara is saying. Um, okay, I have, um, now I'm going to go on to our last mission here. Um, and this is an interesting Mishnah because what it's talking about is it's the concept of memory, right? Which I think is actually a very modern idea, right? The idea of people testifying, you know, children who as adults remember things, right? That's actually a very modern thing. I think we've all seen like TV movies. Unfortunately, they're usually about like children who remember terrible things as adults later on. But that's kind of what this Mishnah is talking about. It's not that they're remembering terrible events, but the idea is do we trust a childhood memory. That's essentially the question of this Mishnah. These are things that we basically deem as credible testimony that someone can testify as an adult with something that they witnessed as a child. Right? Somebody could say, this is my father's handwriting. Even if he never saw the handwriting as an adult, he only saw it as a child. Or this is the, um, this is my teacher's handwriting. Or this is my brother's handwriting. Right? He also could say, uh, I remember this wedding and this person went out, you know, uh, with a hinuma or with their head uncovered, right? As a way of testifying that somebody was a bitula, and this would maybe affect what type of ketubah she could actually collect. Right? Or, um, I remember, um, uh, you know, I remember that this person would leave school in order to go to the mikvah or would eat truma, uh, or he would share truma with us uh, in the threshing floor to say that he was actually a priest. Uh, sorry, I didn't read that part. El Hagoran. Um, and finally, Bahamakomaza Beta Press, right? This place is a Beta Press. That's a field where there was a grave that was plowed, scattering the bones. And so, therefore, there's 
uncertain ritual purity, right? It's unclear if it's tame, uh, that whole field. The ad kan hayat ba'in b'shabbat. Or somebody would say, this is where people would walk until Shabbat when I was a child, and that would be a way of establishing the tachun, the boundary of Shabbat. A person, we don't trust their testimony when they say so-and-so had a path in this place or so-and-so had a, you know, land and they would perform the ritual of giving a eulogy in that place. And that was a way of proving that that person actually owns land. And the reason for this is, is that we need full testimony. In other words, two witnesses of a current observation if we're trying to remove property from somebody. Because in other words, the idea is, is that the type of testimony that this would be is somebody basically saying, oh, so-and-so, so right? Ruvain lives in plot, land, whatever, you know? And Shimon claims it's really his land. And this person says, oh, I remember I once saw Shmuel give a husband there. That we're not going to trust. But it's interesting to see sort of what childhood memories are considered to be okay and what, you know, what, what we don't consider to be okay. But it's pretty broad, the category of what we allow somebody to testify on uh, that they experienced as a child. Um, I think it's really interesting and it's going to get more interesting as we go to the end of the DAF. Um, right, this idea that, you know, we're going to establish fact, basically, right? We're going to establish what is or a person's status based on somebody's memory from back whenever. And, you know, the question of whether that's more reliable or less reliable or concocted or whatever, right? When we bring that, those modern questions into that, into the way the Gemara talks about it, I find it to be really, really interesting. Um, I'm going to get to the end part, if that's okay. Um, the Gemara is exactly, Right, somebody who comes forward and says, um, "What happens?" He says, "I I remember that I I we ate v'shachalnu b'ktsatsashel that ploni leploni. I ate at this ktsatsa, which we're going to talk about in a minute. What that is, um, uh, this ceremony of bat ploni leploni when these people were getting married. That so and so, the daughter of so and so was marrying so and so. Right, ploni being the catch-all term to mean so and so." Um, now, um, it turns out that this is being used here as a term that we all know. And it's one of those terms that maybe you don't know because it's not common at all. It's found actually in the Yerushalmi on Kiddushin because it's really talking about the kind of, it's, it's talking about kind of making a Kenyan, right? Like at the beginning when they would make, when they would have a Kenyan, right? They would start with... Um, Chalipin, right? We'll talk about this when we get to Kitushin. You know, we're going to talk about this in many different contexts. But this idea of a of a handshake, or or they would exchange a, a handkerchief and say, "There, the deal is sealed." And this tzatza, I'm sorry. And then later, and we know this from Kitushin, they would they came to different ways of settling a deal, right? Kasef or star or chazaka, masir. Like there's a whole bunch of different ways that a transaction is, you know, concluded. As yes, it took re it really took place. Uh, so Ktsatsa was kind of this intermediate stage after Khalipin and before, you know, these other more, I guess, more specific, more formal ways of of, you know, in the case of a formal act of acquisition, how do you how do you acquire an ox, that kind of thing. So a Ktsatsa is basically that they would smash a barrel of fruit or of some kind of treat in the middle of the street in the town. 
And everybody would come and they would make this big pronouncement on whatever that pronouncement would be. So it might really be, you know, a business transaction or it might be, as is referred to here, this kind of statement of, you know, we don't. in this case, it's a formal statement from the family that we don't like the fact that this marriage is going forward, meaning it's a really strange public announcement, I think. I think that, you know, especially if we look at Ketsatsa as a, as a way of having a, a formal transaction, kind of, that there's a big ceremony and it's to draw attention to the fact, well, I understand that if what you want to a very public frown, uh, you know, frowning upon your daughter, or your son's marriage to their spouse, then, then I guess this is a way to do it. But why would you really do that? All of this is really a sidebar, meaning it's just defining what is tzatza, namely this particular the person who says, the, the person who says, I remember in childhood, I attended at this tzatza that so-and-so was marrying so-and-so and it was unsuitable. Then we understand. And like, the question is, you know, it, what was the, what was the reason for that marriage being unsuitable? And that's why we want this testimony. Right, so right, it says that we would bring our challah, we would bring the, the gifts that we would give to the Kohanim, we would bring them to this guy, so lo and behold, that memory helped establish this person as a Kohen. And, you know, that's that um, establishes, uh, meaning this person is, is credible and therefore establishing the Kohen as such. Um, now again, this is only if he did it himself. He can't say, I remember that other people used to bring him uh, challah or whatever, right? Because the self-doing as a minor, which I suppose is considered a stronger memory or a firmer memory than just what you happen to see somebody else do. Um, so if the childhood was spent as either a non-Jew or as a slave, and then the recall is, you know, as an adult who is now no longer a slave or no longer an, uh, a non-Jew, that's not considered credible. Meaning the only credible uh, children are the Jews. Um, I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, but halachically that is what the standing happens to be, or at least as it's presented in this passage. Okay, so they, we say, right, no, it'd be deemed credible to say, you know, I have this memory when I was a minor that there was a path over here or that thus and such a person had a piece of land over here, meaning that's that's too much um, relying on the memory, right? It's, it's, it's kind of like you rem if you give testimony that you remember a kitsatsa, which was this big dramatic ceremony, that then, you know, that they would smash this barrel of fruit or treats or whatever, and all the children would go. I, I have this image of, like, the modern-day Ashkenazi Ofra, right? And all the kids go to get the candies, for example. Then that's that's a good thing to be reliable for because it pertains to the child. It's it's a real, like, you know, in-the-bones kind of memory. Um, so as far as that goes. Now, Rabbi Yochan ben Baruka here says, Nemanim, meaning that these other people, right, the people who do remember, let's say, the path or whatever other things that were not quite as strong in the bones as I'm saying it uh, for the child, 
he says it's still they're still deemed credible meaning you have that memory then that gets to kind of you go go into the mix except for that the Gemara wants to know what is it that Rabbi Yochanan ben Baruka is saying is who is it that the Rabbi Yochanan ben Baruka is saying is credible is it that last bit like I just explained it right that you know if there's a path or if there is uh, somebody had ownership of land or something or is he going back further to say that even the non-Jew, you know, the who the non-Jew's child or the slave child, uh, were considered uh, credible once they, when they when they grew up, and now they have this childhood memory that they're also deemed credible. Of course, I would suggest that once you're going to accept the child's testimony, right, meaning a child's testimony, then it shouldn't really matter what the status was of that child at the time that they had that they had the experience that they later recollect. Meaning maybe you need the non-Jew to have converted or the shif- the shifka or the evid to have been freed to be able to be even talking about testimony to begin with. But if you're going to accept, I mean, again, I'm not saying this halacha, hal- hal- I'm just saying the logic of it, if you're going to rely on memory, then, you know, it's hard to say that a non-Jew who grows up to convert to Judaism has a less good memory, for example, a less reliable memory than a Jew who does have a memory, whatever, fine. Um, okay, so that's the question. And then I just want to read this very last passage at the very end of the daf, which is also the end of the parak because it does kind of define the kitzatza a little bit more. Ma kitzatza, ditana rabbanan. We've got this uh, explanation from Chazal. How do they do this kitzatza? Echad minachin shnasa isha sheinat hogenelo. So one of the brothers marries a woman who's not suitable for him. So the, all the family members come and they bring a barrel full of fruit. And they break it open. They smash it open in the middle of the street. And they say, this is a public pronouncement. Brothers of his, you know, all of Israel, listen up. Can you imagine this happening? Um, our brother did marry this woman who's not fit for him, who's not suitable for him. And we want to make sure we're afraid that his descendants, that their descendants will mingle with our descendants. Come and, you know, it's basically take notice, right? Lest they come and marry your your children. Zaro uh, bizarino that the that the future descendants should not marry each other. Bo kulacham dugmala dorot shalo yitarev zaro bizarino vezohi kitatza shatinok neaman laid alea and that is the kitatza that the that the person who was a child at the time is you know fit to testify about. Now I'll say hadran alacha yishashinet armala. We finish this parak, but I want to just note that this phenomenon like who is really going to be willing to do this chazaka status it's i think really difficult um kitatsa status i I think it's really difficult to think that a family is going to do this to their kid even if you know you want to make you want to make sure that the future generations do not marry but but this is like a public forum and i'm surprised that there's no mention in this Gemara, and I can't speak to everywhere else, but there's no mention in this forum about embarrassment, right? Like, I would think that that would be part of this discussion. 
Yeah, I, it, it's very interesting. I mean, it's I, I had never heard of this before. There was a lot I learned on this app that I had never heard before. Um, I tried looking up a little bit more about it. I didn't find much. Um, look, I think this goes back to something we saw in Yavamos. I think people lived in very small towns where everybody sort of knew everybody's business. It's not a nice thing that they did. It does show the power of community in a certain way, but not for good. <laughs> you know, more in a kind of busybody way. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, I guess. I just feel like, but then everybody even knows what do you need to do the ceremony, right? I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm being difficult here. I understand. You know, in terms of what the why the why somebody would do this. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Robin and Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about the DAP and our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.